0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you for checking out the Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. and uh, this week I'm talking with Isaac from Middle Ages, right here in Syracuse, New York. Uh, you know, I I've never connected with Isaac before. Uh, this year was the first. Um, I've seen him at a couple events this year. I'm buying beer from him at the bar. He came out and did a tasting event, and and you know we've connected, and now I've had him on the podcast and. And this is the longest podcast I have done of this year. Uh, I had a great time talking with them, and uh, and honestly, there's a lot of questions I didn't get to ask them that I, I want to have them back in for a second episode to talk about. But um, you know, Middle Ages for our our city, in, in my opinion, they're just—it's a really unique brewery because we have got a lot of breweries in Syracuse, a lot who have been doing it for a while. You know, I think of like. Full bore has been doing this for quite a few years. Buried Acorn, um, Willow Rock, Talking Cursive, you know, I'm sure I know I'm missing a bunch, but Syracuse is blessed, Central New York is blessed to have some great craft breweries, and Middle Ages is, you know, kind of the big brother to all of them. They've been doing this the longest since 1995 in in Syracuse, and so... It's really cool to think about that. It's really cool to have somebody that's been doing it for that long in our community that we can kind of look up to, and um, it's really cool to sit down and talk with them. Um, Yeah, so I hope you enjoy the conversation uh, as much as I had having it with them, and um, yeah. Uh, What's going on? It's been a while. It's been a while since we put out a podcast. It's been a couple weeks. You know, I've recorded a couple episodes now of the Restaurants Across America episodes. And I think I said in the intro to the last one, they are so incredibly tenuous to edit. Um, Just I do them over Zoom, but the way that I record them is kind of unique. And just I I have not figured this out, but there is just this weird thing where like, and I know I'm going to geek out, but I take the audio file from the Zoom recording, the Zoom call. And match that with the video from the camera that I have in studio that's pointed at my computer, and the there's just this this like natural lag that happens every second. And so, I've spent the last three weeks editing this episode that I recorded with uh, Jimmy from Jimmy's A Peets in uh, Milford, Connecticut. Uh, to put that into perspective, this hour and forty-five minute conversation I had with with Isaac today. I could put it out in five minutes because there's no editing. Uh, you know, I've gone over this stuff before in like YouTube videos and stuff, but um, our podcast setup. So a normal podcast that I record here in the studio takes me five minutes to upload it to you. The podcast that I do via these Zoom things takes me weeks. Um, yeah, it's just it's wild. Um so that's why we haven't had a podcast out in a while, but I'm happy to say that, you know, we've, I've now recorded, I've got four episodes in the bag. I've got the restaurants across America episode two that I'm working on. I've recorded an episode with Nate from a brewing company out in Ronde I've recorded an episode with Andy from Swift Rotter Brewing out in Rochester and now Isaac. And, and, uh, so we're going to start releasing, you know, a lot more regular podcasts now that I'm kind of catching up on the recordings of them. So excited to be getting those out. Um, I've got a lot to say, but I'm, I'm going to reserve that for a different episode. These, this is a long enough episode. You don't need a long rant from me in the intro. So I will just say, if you're interested in supporting us and helping me keep these podcasts going, because they, they take time, they cost money, uh, then you can just buy an Eat Local New York card. Head to EatLocalNewYork.com, purchase your card today. It's 25 bucks, and it helps you save $5 every time you go out to eat and spend $25 or more at locally owned restaurants. Um we're also going to be releasing our Eat Local New York hats, the famously that people have been asking, I don't know why I keep using the word famously, but our Eat Local New York hats that people have been asking for uh to buy them for a while, we're finally getting them made. We're going to get those for sale. And um yeah, if you're a restaurant that's listening to this and you're on the card, uh please sign up for our mobile app. You know, if you're on the card that means that we can geofence your area. So if an app user gets within a certain radius of your restaurant, they'll get a notification reminding them that you're on the Eat Local card. And it's $50 a month. It's very cheap, very, very, very cheap in order to have that feature. So if you're a restaurant listening to this, then please, please, please sign up for that feature. It just helps us continue to do so much for you that we already do. Uh, Well, that's it. Uh, Without further ado, here is my conversation with Isaac from Middle Ages. It's, uh, it's, it is wild to get out into Rochester and just um, trying to become familiar with the area, but then also um, it's interesting to go to a place that's not home and talk to people that do the same thing that I'm familiar with back home mm-hmm. uh, about stuff and um, just kind of get e- it lo- I
1: assume it's eat local that's bringing you out there, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. I was, um, I mean, we're Eat Local New York, but 95% of what I do is Syracuse. And from, I so. feel it's you know it's like uh, uh, like prestige worldwide you know <laughs> and then you know all you do is events in your little town, um, so I I just I had this like uh, I don't know what to call it, premonition feeling knowing I was like I have to go to Rochester mm-hmm. I have to start getting to Rochester once a week starting immediately so this is my third week going out there and uh, yeah it's been fun. It's nice to get out there and see different food. It is it's a cool place.
1: I like Rochester a lot. Yeah. Uh, my wife is from uh, Clyde, but her parents are both from Rochester. Okay. So she has a lot of family in that area. So yeah. we're out there fairly often. That's so.
0: cool. So are you're from are you from Syracuse? Yeah,
1: born and raised, uh, I grew up in DeWitt, went to J D. Um my dad was raised here. Um my mom's from Oneida, so yeah. Local. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've always really liked it here. Yeah, um, not never had an urge to leave. You know. No, I never really have. Yeah, hmm. uh, I went to college in Ithaca. Yeah. Um, I like upstate New York. I like Syracuse. It's yeah, uh, it's what? the right speed for me. You know, it's yeah, it's I like visiting. You know, busier cities or, mm-hmm. or you know, or the country or whatever. But this is like the you know the right pace for me. So
0: yeah, I um i like syracuse too i really do there's there's moments uh last night was one of them <laughs> where my we went to dinner at kasai we said we parked in that parking lot right next to it that small one mm-hmm. and um on the way out i like as we're walking to the parking lot a DoorDash driver pulls up and parks blocking that parking lot yeah <laughs> i'm like what the You know, and I just had one of those moments of, I fucking hate it here. Why the hell do we live here? (laughs) You know, Um, but are you from here? Yeah. Uh, So I was born and raised in Kentucky and when I was 13, we moved here. Okay. And I graduated high school here. I've lived in South Central Ohio, um, Southern Ohio, you know, Cincinnati area and Mm -hmm. a little bit north. I've lived in Central Texas for a couple of years. Just it was like 45 minutes from Austin. All right, and I've lived in San Diego for a month, and then came back. Yeah, so I like it. I do. Yeah, you know, Syracuse is Syracuse. Right. I tell people that it's it's a unique town. Yeah. It's,
1: you know, you, know, you can't expect what you expect other places. You know, it's, it's different. Yeah. yeah.
0: It is. It's. Uh, it's just if you if you can figure out Syracuse, you can get shit done. You know, you can do stuff. Yeah. You can make money, be successful, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't figure out <laughs> Syracuse, you're fucked. <laughs> Cause for sure. Yeah. You know, like what
1: works other places does not always work no. here. Yeah. Um, you know, like I know Syracuse, I know somebody used to work for the lays. Okay. And Syracuse was a test market at a certain point for lays. Really? Yeah. This might go back to the early two thousands. Okay. Um, and the way he explained it to me was like, you know, they test products here because they figure if they can get it to sell in Syracuse, then it'll probably work most places. <laughs> and I'm like, that makes sense. Like, you know, we're a fickle bunch here. That's like, you yeah. know, especially with new things, it's, hmm. you know, it's kind of like we're, you know, you know, a couple years behind in adapting trends sometimes. Um, so if it works here, yeah. it'll probably and it's just you know it's the right size market. You know, don't have to like, you know. D- It's not a gigantic investment to try something out here. Right. But so there was a period of time where you could get, you know, different Lay's products that were not available (laughs) anywhere else. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, That is pretty funny. Uh, I wonder what those products were, because all I can picture is, like, you're like a salt potato, potato chip. Well, so I know one of them was
1: um, uh, Balls Soda. Okay. Which I actually think ended up becoming, like, a, you know, I don't know if it still exists. Yeah. But it was a soda that had, like, you know, tapioca balls in it before... Um oh really. Yeah, before like w- bubble tea was like big. Huh. Um that's wild. It was a carbonated like clear soda.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, and again I do think it ended up going like national but they were we were a <laughs> test a test market for it. Yeah.
0: I've heard that of like different cities when I lived in Ohio, they said Dayton Ohio was also like was there, you know, a test market for every fast food chain and um I think Actually, Morgan, what's-his-face, uh, whatever the hell the guy's name is, he did the um, Super Size Me. When he okay, did, I know you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, when he did a second version of that and he made the fried chicken restaurant, they did that in Columbus, I think, which Columbus and Dayton are like very close to each other. So I've heard that at different markets in the past, but, it, but everyone has always said it's a test market for every company, mm. about every city. And I've heard it about multiple cities, and it makes a hell of a lot more sense to say this company—it was their test market, yeah. not everyone's test market. It was that company's test market, so it makes more sense to say it was Lay's, yeah, test market. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah, it's—I um, I, do—I love Syracuse. It's when I lived in Texas, the one thing I always said is in Texas, in, like in Syracuse, it was nothing to call up a friend. Like you just went and hung out at each other's houses a lot. Mm-hmm. Here, yeah. I felt like. And in Texas, it wasn't like... Colleen, where I lived, it wasn't like that. You, you went out and did stuff. You didn't go hang out at your friend's house. Um, and so that was one big thing that I felt like was really different about Texas and Syracuse. But um, I interviewed this guy for the podcast back right when the pandemic started. He's a New York City real estate broker for restaurants. And primarily restaurants and so he was asking me what Syracuse is like and I described it as Syracuse is about five years behind Buffalo in terms of trends and what works and Buffalo is about five years behind New York City or maybe even more so that kind of gives you an idea of what Syracuse is like
1: yeah I mean I agree Uh, it's also kind of weird because some trends I don't know seem to like skip New York City like Hmm. like New York City was way behind in craft beer for the longest were they? time. Yeah, they were uh, like compared to um, the craft beer. You know, you know, um, Portland okay. uh, yeah. com- compared to you know San Francisco compared to like where craft beer blew up. Um, you know, Denver.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and I m- honestly, part of that might have to do with real estate costs. Yeah, it's, you need a lot of space to build a brewery. Yeah, um, and hmm. just the distributors have always had really big control mm-hmm. in New York city. You're be- going back to the three tier system, um, yeah, where, you know, they're selling the, you know, the main domestics, Budweiser, Miller Coors, you know? Um, but it, I mean, even now there aren't that many like brew pubs in Manhattan, right? Um, uh, there's more breweries when you get out to like, you know, the other boroughs. Yeah. Um, hmm. but those are rel- like a lot of them are relatively new in the whole craft beer thing, you know, Twenty ten or later, yeah. um, huh. you know. When you think other half or uh, single cut or yeah, I mean the the early one was Brooklyn. Yeah, right. Um, but even then, most Brooklyn never really had a large brewery hmm. down there. Almost all their beers always been contract brewed.
0: Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. Um, you know, uh, you, you're probably familiar with Stay Fresh Designs and Tommy Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So Gabe, who works for them, as a project manager. She Worked at Brooklyn Brewery for years. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's wild. Uh, that they did so much contract brewing.
1: Yeah. No. It's the vast majority of their product is contract brewed, and they actually, they don't even have the brewery, the brewery. They don't have the brewery in Brooklyn anymore. Really? The production facility is closed. Yeah. Wow. Um, most of their beer is brewed in Utica at FX Mass. Stop it! Are you, Are you serious? serious? Yeah. yeah. No. Come on. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's one of their number one products. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody who worked for me, um, worked there before, and he's like, "Yeah,
0: we were brewing Brooklyn Lager a few times a week." That is insane. Uh, So FX, they're FX Matt, they do like that's Saranac, right? Yes. Okay, so they do all the Utica Club and all that kind Mm -hmm, of shit. And then your other big one is Genesee out in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rochester. Rochester. That's right. Um, and they're uh, they're pretty big. Correct. They're the they're the
1: biggest one in New York State besides uh. The Baldwin-Seal Budweiser plant.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like, uh, this is reminding me of a conversation I just had with Nick Pascal talking about what brands Buffalo Trace owns. Buffalo Trace pr- owns, like, every brand that you can imagine in bourbon. They've got, like, the Buffalo Trace everybody knows, especially recently, but... This Sazerac rye that I have over there, that's them. Then Pappy Van Winkle, that's them. And they've got like everything he was saying from like the shittiest to the best. Right. Um, and that's wild. It's, it's, uh, that's crazy. I can't believe that fucking FX. Matter. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's and
1: again, they, you know, Brooklyn is their own brand. Yeah. And they did have their own, you know, Garrett Oliver is their own brewmaster. He's one of like the most influential brewers in the country. Um, and they did operate their own brewery for, a decent sized brewery for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I I would imagine they still have at least a small Hmm. system for test batches and stuff. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Um, I just know that the the main production facility closed in Brooklyn. Um, but no, it's, but yeah, contract brewing is once you get to a a certain
0: scale, it's more common than most consumers realize. Uh, We were in Hawaii for our honeymoon, like right before, like the February of the pandemic. Oh wow, Yeah. And, um, we took a tour of, uh, what's the big one on the big island? They do, like, big wave and shit. It's either Kona or Maui. I always confuse Kona. the two. Kona. Yeah. So
1: Kona's the one that, I think, is owned by InBev? Or... Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, now yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so when we were taking the tour of the brewery, like, I was, the, the guy I was talking about, um, he was saying, like, even some of the beers that you would get on the island in Hawaii don't come from that brewery. They come from, like, Colorado and stuff. Yeah. And um, And so I was asking the questions of, well, how do you... How do you quality control? And, you know, what about the water difference? And he was saying that, you know, the mineral packs and all that, when you're brewing on that scale, everything is so perfectly fine-tuned that there is zero difference. It them. really is, yeah. But if if I said, if I gave you a recipe for a Kolsch and I gave Barrett Acorn a recipe for a Kolsch and you followed it both identically, they would still probably be different beers.
1: They'd be a little different. Um, You know, we have the same water supply as them, you okay. know, so... Our brew systems are a little different. Um, like, mine is unique in that it's direct-fired. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure what buried acorn is. Um, but once you get to a certain scale, that becomes really rare. Like, okay. brew pubs have, like, direct fire kettles, you know, where there's actually a birder below the kettle. Yeah. Um, but once you get up to 20, 30-plus barrels, um, it's steam-jacketed hmm. is the norm. Okay. Um, which creates a little bit of different character in the beer. I, you know, berry decor actually might be direct fired also.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, but that even just when you, when you're talking about that kettle geometry yeah, um, stuff like that, because you get caramelization from the direct fire. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that,
2: hmm.
1: you know, you can't replicate unless you have the exact same system. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think like, you know, we could probably, it might take a, a little bit of work, but we could probably have something that was indistinguishable between hmm. the two places.
0: Yeah. Um, That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, again, the water source is a big thing. If you don't have the same water source, then it's you really need a reverse osmosis system, which is what strips the water down to bare water, mm-hmm. and then you add the minerals back that you're looking for. Gotcha. Um, where I know neither him or I have that. Yeah. Um, so we're just working with the Syracuse mun- Municipal Water. We're really lucky here. Um, it's almost all from skinny Out's Lake. it's not super hard. Um, I was just going to ask you have to filter it. Uh, so ours just goes through a basic particular filter and Mm. then a carbon filter. Gotcha. Uh, So that'll remove any chlorine that is added by the city. It'll remove any particular that's picked up from the pipes or whatever on the way. Um, but we really don't do much to it. Uh, the big thing we do to it is treat it with minerals. Um, and then food grade acid to get the right pH that we want. Okay. Um, and you know, people accomplish that in different ways, but, um, uh, buried does the same thing, you know, and you, you, you target a certain water profile depending on the kind of beer you're brewing. Um, Hmm. it's actually super important. Um, changes the, the mouthfeel of the beer, um, emphasizes different flavors. Hmm. Um, you know, an IPA, or even even just in IPAs, like a, a old school West Coast style IPA, has a drastically different mineral profile than a modern New England hazy IPA. Mm. Um, hmm. So it's it's actually one of the most important things when you're brewing beer, um, hmm. which kind of makes sense. You know, beer is mostly water. Yeah. Um, and everybody knows you go to different places, water tastes differently, you right? Know? Or everybody's had they have the bottled water they don't like. Yeah. Or. Um, it's just not something people think about when they're drinking beer, right. um, about how important it is. That's wild. Uh,
0: yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's. Um, I, I've I've heard that like Myers Creek is doing a lot of contract brewing um, out there at the Cas plant, uh, and yeah, it's funny. You know, even thinking about um, like there's the weekday whiskey that um, one of the radio DJs in town start. He like he launches his own brand. I don't even know what that is. Uh, week, I think it's called weekday whiskey. It's um, Lock One distills it for him, but one—I forget his name. He's from like ninety-five X or something. Okay, but he launched his own whiskey brand, and it's called Weekday whiskey. And it's—I think he only sells it in like the small, like flask glass bottles, maybe. But uh, anyways, they—they they do all of the distilling for him. It's just—I'm sure he had to go and get his own, you know, apply for all of his own licensing and all that kind of shit, get right. his labels and all that. He probably needs a place to store it that's bonded and secured by the federal government.
1: And yeah, it's the alcohol regulations are crazy. It's, yeah,
0: yeah, are stupid. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, so he's created his own brand of whiskey that now he's selling, and um, yeah, it's just interesting to think about. Like, it's still very challenging. Obviously, I want to talk about that. So, it's very challenging to sell alcohol, make yes. and sell alcohol, um. But at the same time, it's relatively accessible to anybody because of contract brewing. Right. I mean, if I came to you and said, I've got everything set, all right? Like, I don't know if you do it, but like just hypothetically. Yeah. Um, I could go to any brewery, you know, most breweries in town, and say, I've got everything set. I've got my licensing and yada, yada, yada. I've got my labels and mm-hmm. everything's approved and I've paid for everything. And I want you to brew this beer. I could go get it done. You could. Yeah. yeah maybe be a dumb idea and cost me a lot of money, but I could do yeah, it.
1: Yeah, so contract brewing, at least with beer, I don't know much about the you know, the, the hard alcohol yeah side of it. But um with beer, um especially if you're just distributing, mm-hmm. the margins are tiny. Yeah. So if you're contract brewing, you know, the contract brewer has to get their margins additionally. Yeah. So then that's cutting into your margins while you're distributing. So you really need some serious volume. Yeah. to make it even worthwhile. Yeah. You know, it's you're talking you're talking lots and lots of beer. <laughs> um. Hmm. It's, you know, yeah. thousands and thousands of barrels of beer hmm. to be able to make it worth it just for <laughs> a really even just a, a really small team of people. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> uh, even though you don't have the overhead and such just to be able to pay yourself, you got to Yeah. You got to sell a lot of beer. <laughs> it's, you know, you know, people don't realize that, you know, so when I sell a case of beer or a keg of beer, I sell it to a wholesaler who then marks it up, mm. who then sells it to a retailer who then marks it up. So, you know, if I have a $10 six pack on the shelf, I'm only, I'm getting less than $5 yeah. for that. Cause again, it's been marked up twice. Um, mm. And it's expensive you know the (laughs) like the ingredients the packaging especially the packaging Hmm. is really expensive so if you want to be in the price range that most beer is you know and still Hmm. make a decent amount of money (laughs) you need to sell a lot of beer a lot of beer yeah um what's a
0: what's a, a label cost you because um, you have to get every – so every every label you design has to get approved from the state, correct? Right. So
1: the approval process, they've actually made a lot better. Oh, um, have they? Yeah. It used to take a long time, had to be submitted, paper filing, um, could take months to get back at some points when they were mm-hmm. backed up. Um, There's actually one period of time where they cracked down on brand label registration, which it's called, um, and they were finding people. Mm-hmm. And so, of course – the news got out that they were actually really enforced. You know, it was kind of unenforced for a really long time. Mm. There were, I mean, Sam Adams got a, over a million dollar fine. Really? Cause they only had one of their products registered in New York state. <laughs> out of, you know, you're thinking every, not just the Sam Adams beer, but truly yeah. angry orchard.
0: Do you have to get it? So if you distribute it across state lines, do you have to get that label approved in those different states?
1: Every state is different. Okay. So some states, if you just have the federal approval, you're good to go. Okay. Um, other states have other requirements, hmm. um, and some of the states' requirements are actually contradictory to each other. Hmm. So there are certain states where you need to have a special label. Um, no, it's
0: it's it's an archaic and yeah. So you can't just go find a distributor in Jersey. You have to find a distributor in Jersey and then go figure out what their rules are and make sure that you're meeting all those. Right.
1: Um, so most distributors who focus on craft will either do it for the smaller brands, Hmm. at least nowadays, or help you do it. Okay. Um, but there's also, you know, a lot of States have just to be able to, you know, export beer into that state. You have to have an exporter license, which Hmm. could be a thousand dollars a year. Wow. Um, the laws overall are getting better everywhere. Yeah. Again, it dates back to like pre prohibition or shortly after prohibition laws that were, um, meant to fight problems that don't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of them were meant to fight tied houses where, uh, you know, pre prohibition, a lot of the retailers, uh, bars or, you know, places that sold beer were owned by the breweries Mm. and, they could use, you know, you know, um, big business tactics to force small bars yeah. and out of business. You know, it was hmm. so they they put in laws to prevent that from happening again. Obviously, the landscape has changed now that you know there's thousands of breweries in the country and not just you know 50. Yeah. Um, hmm. But a lot of those laws remained on the books, and there's a lot of people with a lot of money who. Uh, want to keep those laws in the books. Yeah. Uh, but New York state has been pretty progressive about it. Um, at least is getting the laws changed, you know, um, hmm. there were still some things that like the brand label registration that just got modernized within the past couple of years. Okay. Um, that was an archaic process. And that's one reason that a lot of breweries just didn't do it. Yeah, um, They didn't, they didn't have their ducks in a row that most of their beers or none of their beers were registered. And then the state started cracking down on it without um without also realizing that by cracking down on it, all of a sudden everybody's gonna try and get in compliance. So all of a sudden they had thousands of brand labels that were not approved, not just from New York State breweries, but from breweries all over the country. Hmm. Um hmm. and then they had to, you know, approve these this backlog that was almost six months long. Um and now they finally Updated. They've outsourced it to somebody that's not working. It's a, a company that does it for a lot of states. Yeah, gotcha. um, So nowadays, I can submit a brand label registration today. Yeah. Via the online portal, and have it back in a couple days. Okay. Oh, that's nice. So yeah,
0: it's. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Tim about doing one uh, one day doing a um, like eat local New York collab beer with them. And we were about we almost did one for three with them in three one fried, um, but you know we. Long story, but Limp Lizard has a that we're inside of. They already have a liquor license, so um, we don't want to like. And so if you go into three one fried, you have to buy your sandwich here, buy your beer there. Um, and so we didn't want to, I like, go through this crazy effort to like have a, like a, a beer made for three one fried uh, that, that was then sold by
1: Limp Lizard. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've talked to him about doing it, and and then hearing him talk about like the process of like, well, I've got to get the we've got to get the label made, and then I've got to pay for it, and I've got to register, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, that makes me feel, but you know, not like not that he's saying that Tim would do it in a heart in a hot second, but um, it's just like holy shit, that's a process, right? You know, just to put a beer out, right? And so if you don't order labels in large quantity, yeah, like if you just
1: like you so, know, Tim, you know, we're similar sized systems. I don't know what he's putting out a year or whatever, but yeah. if, if you just order enough labels for one batch of beer, those labels are going to be really expensive. Yeah. They're going to be like $0.25 cents a label. Yeah, for sure. Whereas, you know, if I order, you know, some of my, my, main, my mainstay brands, I'll, you know, order them in a, a, a package deal. Right. I might pay $0.05 cents a label. Yeah. And that, when you multiply that by 24 in a case, <laughs> Yeah. all of a sudden we're talking about dollars in a case. Yeah. And again, you got to go through a distributor. You know, I'm, some of my cases go to my distributor for less than $25. So every cent per you know, you know the, the you know one cent on a can going up yeah that's twenty twenty four cents hmm. on the on yeah. the whole package. It's every little tiny thing adds up yeah very quickly. And then you're talking about making a, a few dollars on a case of beer. It's like it's fucking stupid. <laughs> no, it's it's, <laughs> it's sometimes it's <laughs> like why are we doing this? But yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm gonna ask you that at the end of the podcast, but. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I started a coffee company, you know, three years ago. And um, I had Peaks doing the coffee roasting for me. Mm -hmm. It's a great setup. I, you know, had the idea for the company and, you know, labels made and yada, yada, yada. And, yeah, the labels are... And I had the same company out of Rochester that a lot of the breweries use. TLF. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, by the time that you get your coffee roasted, you know, you pay for it, you get your bag, you get your label, and then you know, for me, like wholesale would have been the dream come true, but really it was, uh, I couldn't wholesale because it was part of the deal with peaks. Like we're not going to go sell, I'm not going to have you sell me your coffee that then I'm going to go undercut and sell to your wholesale customers or to wholesale customers that you could be getting. Right. Um, and so, uh, I wound up just trying to do retail and it's stupid by the time you factor in shipping for a bag of coffee, because it's, you know you do like a twelve ounce bag you're just over that minimum for shipping so to ship it, it's seven bucks for shipping and nobody's gonna fucking buy a thirteen bag a cup bag uh thirteen dollar bag of coffee and then six dollars for shipping right like only dummies do that you know yeah or purists in the coffee world and uh they're not gonna buy my coffee those purists no are, they're gonna so.
1: be some, some small roasted you know right. like some guy you know, yeah, hand sourcing the beans, right? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, trucking them up from in his pickup truck from wherever. <laughs> like,
0: but the labels cost me almost as much as the coffee inside the bag did. It, you know, doesn't surprise me at all. Right? Yeah, it's uh, it's not uh, doing that stuff is not fun. I, I can't imagine being a brewery owner and having to do it with all that beer. Um, so uh, speaking of beer, you brought some for yeah, us. yeah. Um,
1: that the brought a variety. Yeah. Um, So our newest one is Just Peachy. Okay. This is our first take on a a smoothie sour. Okay. So uh, this beer is over one-third pureed peach. Wow. By volume. Huh. Um, It's unfermented, so it's sweet. Hmm. Um, It's thick. Okay. Um, Would you like to try it? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So I recommend rolling the can first. All right. Because, again, the peach ends up having solids in it. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'll pass that over
0: to you. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah. Um the, I've been drinking the public house pale ale for like the last three weeks. That's one of my favorite that's my favorite beer that we do. Yeah. How uh, is it? Yeah. The I mean, it depends on my mood. But yeah. yeah. Um I'm really into the Oktoberfest now too, because we just released that. Okay. Um so that's brand
0: new. Yeah.
1: And then I also got the Rainer Shine, which is our which is our twenty seventh anniversary beer. So Okay.
0: Yeah, I had that. I had one of those, but the public house pale ale I'm a pale ale fan for sure, so yeah. I've been drinking that a lot. Yeah. So have you done
1: the smoothie sour
0: thing before? Uh, yeah. I'm typically not a fan of that. Okay, I won't be offended. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs>
1: you know, I just figured it's our newest thing. You should probably try it. Um,
0: wow. That tastes like a peach.
1: Yes, it's that's the whole idea. Yeah. Um, it's not my everyday go-to beer. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Wow. They're really trendy right now. Yeah. Um, and. You know, it's cool to see how beer evolves over time. Yeah, you know, I'm not one of those people that to say like you'll get people you know who are like this not beer. Yeah, it's it's one third fruit, mm-hmm. like unfermented fruit, like. And I just say to them, you know, beer is evolving concept over time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, hmm. hundreds of I mean, hundreds of years ago, hops wasn't even a thing in beer, hmm. and beer's been being made for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, fruit has always been an important thing in beer. Belgians have been using unfermented fruit in their beer for decades, Mm. you know, modern the lambics that are sweetened with, Mm -hmm. um, fruit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's really good. I typically don't like them. Most of them are, most of my experience with like a smoothie style beer is like way too sweet. Yeah. It doesn't really taste like anything, but just way too sweet, whatever the fuck they put in there. Uh but that just tastes like a peach.
1: Yeah, so I tend to agree with you that mm.
0: they we tried a ton of them before
1: we did our first one. Mm. Um a lot of them use a lot of lactose.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh which is another unfermentable sugar mm. uh that adds sweetness to the beer. You know, typically you originally used in like a milk stout. Yeah. to give it sweetness, but um mm. now frequently used in New England IPAs or yeah, smoothie sours. Yeah. Um I just don't really like lactose in yeah. beer. <laughs> so we decided not to do it for this one. I'm not saying we never will. Yeah, uh, you know, um, we we came up with the name just Peachy, and mm. we're like, you know, it's a cool name. And we're like, you know what? We had the, all these ideas of other stuff we were going to add to it because mm. smoothie sours tend to be heavy in adjuncts. You know, yeah. we we were talking about doing a peach cobbler beer,
2: mm.
1: you know, with cinnamon and lactose, and yeah. Um, and then we're like, if we're going to call it just Peachy, it should just be Peach. Like that's like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. So that was our first one. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll do more. What's,
0: uh, what's your process in
1: coming up with a new beer? Um, Hmm. So a lot of it's just seeing what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing how the, the, where the trends are going. Yeah. Uh, and then figuring out our own take on it. Uh, we'll try a bunch of different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be really, really original. Yeah. You know, with with anything food or beverage related, you know, you got to come from some sort of starting place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we try a bunch, we we read a lot. Um, and then we, you know, I collaborate with our head brewer. Um, his name's Jeff Farrell. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm the one who comes up the recipe. Sometimes it's him.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and then, you know, we'll suggest tweaks to each other. Um, we don't. You we've been doing this for long enough that we don't usually do like a small batch trial. Mm-hmm. We, we we can. We do. I mean, we do. I have a essentially a homebrew setup. You know, a large homebrew setup at the brewery. We've done test batches on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a larger system that we you know have installed and haven't really used yet. But mm-hmm. there, there's plans to use it. But it's a it's a two and a half barrel system. Okay. Um, we've just been so busy that we got that like you know right before COVID hit. Gotcha. So it was meant to be for all on premise. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the, you know, and then COVID happened. It's like, oh, okay. Well, what kind of, you know, <laughs> put this on the side <laughs> Yeah. And everything's on premise. Yeah. So, <laughs>
0: um, so like, where do you look for? I was asking some of the other guys, like Andy and stuff, this question, and and. It... Is there a place, is there like, like you were talking about like Colorado and stuff earlier, is there a place that you look and you say, okay, this is, if I'm going to look for inspiration, if I'm going to say, I want to find out what like the newest thing is happening in the country in terms of beer, I'm going to look at this place. Um, uh, I'm going to say no, okay. um, b- before, you know, then you know,
1: 10, 15 years ago, I would see the West coast. Yeah. Um, Portland, Oregon, you know, San Francisco, um, Denver. Well it's not the West Coast, but yeah. Um and then after I mean, after beer exploded everywhere. Yeah. Now it's like different things come my New England IPAs are really associated with New England. Right. And, you know, you know, the Alchemist in Vermont, um, you know, Lawson's, mm. yeah. Fiddlehead, um, Treehouse. Mm. They were the innovators. Um but now it's done everywhere. Yeah. Um, this Rain or Shine IPA, um, they call it a cold IPA. Um, it's really just a modernized version of a India Pale Lager, okay. which is kind of a big thing for a while. Yeah, um, Just using modern hops, um, different techniques that have uh, come out over the past 10 years, um, which I think it actually, it's kind of like the... The best form or the purest form of an IPL. Okay. Um, Most of them use an adjunct. Like ours uses a lot of corn to lighten the body. Hmm. Um, You allow the lager yeast to ferment at a higher temperature, which allows some of the fruity esters from the yeast that are normally suppressed by a cold fermentation uh, to express themselves, Hmm. which works well in um, a modern IPA that uses all these fruity hops. Okay. Um, compliments them well, uh, but you still get that like crisp finish of a lager. Yeah. Um, and that was originated by somebody in San Francisco. Um, mm. I believe either San Francisco or San Diego. Um, but then he was the first one to call it, you know, he came out with it, called it a cold IPA, mm. talked to people about it. You know, I the blog posts here or there, and there. Then all of a sudden everybody starts doing them. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's something that'll be a, a staying force like New England IPA. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, um, and, you know, homebrewers tend to be, like, some of the most innovative people out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of terrible homebrew beer. Right, yeah. And believe me, I've had it. Um, (laughs) But every now and then, they're able to innovate in ways that a commercial brewery can't.
0: Right. I was just thinking about that when you were saying that. I was thinking, like, there's probably a lot of people out there who have just decided, I'm going to take this traditional recipe and I'm going to add whatever, you know, peaches to it, whatever the fuck I'm going to do to it. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, trying to make it, like, really innovative or interesting, and part of it probably just sucks. You know, and then, so I'm thinking, like, okay, you're going to make, like, you're going to be the first to make the cold IPA, but then you have to go out there and sell it. Right. You know? yeah, that's
1: And as, you know, as a business, that's a very important part of the equation. You yeah. can't just do whatever you want and hope it sells. Right. You know, you need to make product that people want to buy.
0: So one thing I've been really interested in, and I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around it is, um, and I think it's just my personality. I'm a hundred percent into something. So if I'm, I'm changed, it's changed a little bit over the past couple years, but typically like with cocktails right now, I am all in what, on what
1: it. With delicious, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm good. i
0: glad you like it. Oh. Um, I'm all in on it. Like, I'm researching and looking at, you know, like I just did a video on a sidecar. Well, I watched 20 videos on how to make a sidecar and found 20 different fucking recipes and, right. you know, and was reading blogs on it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so this is like a pure classic sidecar. So I'm interested in that. And when I go to a restaurant and they make a shitty, like, and I order a drink and they make it in the incorrect way, I'm thinking to myself, well, this person doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, So I'm passionate about, as a consumer, I'm passionate about what's in this. Like, you were talking earlier, um, you could make, you know, whatever, a Kolsch, and one batch to the other may be a little different, right? Sure. So... As a consumer, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I could notice that. I wonder if, like, I go in all the time, if I could, like, one of the things that I'm constantly impressed at with local breweries in Syracuse is if I have their same brand multiple times in a year, if I don't notice a difference, Mm -hmm. and there's some times where I notice a difference, you know, it's like going to a restaurant on a Monday and getting the chicken sandwich and going on a Thursday and getting the chicken sandwich, and it's completely different. So, I know I'm kind of all over the place with what I'm talking (laughs) about, but... In my head, for, like, a craft brewer, I'm thinking, like, it's got to be hard uh, to me, it's hard, to put myself in your shoes and say, um, or think, I only want people that are really into it. Like, I only want, like, the craft beer enthusiast or purist who's going to, like, think about... Hey, this is one third unfermented peaches and this is a big deal, and you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But in reality, the majority of your customers are probably just like, eh, I don't fucking care. I just want to drink this beer and get it. Yeah, drunk. it tastes good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It
1: tastes good and you know, it has alcohol. That yeah. that
0: that rant was to lead up to the question is uh do you struggle with that at all? Are you a are you a no beer? I don't struggle with it. Okay. Um Tell me why.
1: As long as people are enjoying my product, I'm happy. You know, and honestly that's one of the most rewarding things about being in this business Mm. is seeing people enjoy your product, no matter what level they're into it. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, you know, your grandmother, and she's somebody who swears she does not like beer, (laughs) and then she tries something like that, and she's like, oh, my God, this is good. Yeah. And she doesn't care why it's good. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy. If it's somebody who's the geekiest beer geek you've ever met, and they want to talk to me about fermentation temperatures and water profiles and whatever else as long as they enjoy my product that's so rewarding to yeah. see something that you make that, you know is hands on that I'm involved with every day um and to see them enjoy it that's just that's all I care about you know it's I don't care about if I don't care about why you enjoy it I just <laughs> like to see you enjoy cool. it you know
0: do you get a lot of those at middle ages what do you mean like the the geeky purists
1: so the geeky purists make up a small percentage of beer drinkers yeah you know like ten to twenty percent is probably pretty generous yeah. of the of beer drink. I mean in general or here in general okay yeah most people who drink beer and even you know even craft beer I, it used to be that a bigger percentage of craft beer drinkers were the people who were really into it yeah but now it's you know you get tons of people who know don't know much about it they just know they like IPAs they know they like hoppy beers they know they like sours they know they like wheat beers yeah and that's all they know they don't really care to know more yeah which you know i mean hmm. i'm the same way with some things yeah like you know i wine yeah you know i know i know a decent amount of wine probably more than the average person just because it's alcohol and I know how the process works and inherently you, you learn about, you know, different alcoholic products being in the industry, but I know, you know, I like dry red wine. Yeah. Um, hmm. and a lot of times I couldn't tell you why I like one better than the other one. Yeah. Um, I tell you, I don't like sweet wine. Right. Yeah. Like, so, hmm. you know, there are categories that where I'm a coffee is another example. Yes. Where I enjoy good coffee, but I, couldn't really tell you <laughs> why I like one cup of coffee more than another cup of coffee.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love I love coffee, but I go to Dunkin' Donuts just about every morning. You know, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. um, you know, Big Mike from uh, IBU used to do that all the time. If you didn't know what kind of beer that you wanted, he would say, "Well, how do you drink your coffee?" You know, and then he would suggest something from there.
1: Right, which I've always thought that was um, Mike was one of the smartest people in the beer seeds around here. Yeah. Um, I, want, once I started to take over in the brewing process, like for my parents, mm-hmm. um, he was somebody I consulted with wor- working on water profiles, mm-hmm. the mineral additions, um, because he just was, and it was before I really knew much about it, before I had really gotten like, you know, taken over the brewing process, um, at middle ages, yeah. um, he was super, super insightful, um, and just wanted to to spread his knowledge hmm. like that was he i you know um so he was a huge asset to the the brewing yeah. community in the area um
0: and it's unfortunate that he's you know not really involved anymore I know it's um i first so Ibu was like the first craft brewery that I got involved with with eat local and um you know it helped that they were ten minutes from my house you know probably one of the closest but uh, yeah, so that was one of the first ones. I still have a video saved on my phone of my wife and and Mike getting into an argument. She was drunk at the uh c n y or what was the beer fest at the fairgrounds that 's in the wintertime
1: i think it's c n y beer fest Is it? okay yeah.
0: so um uh her and him getting into an argument about the uh scientific viability of breaking the seal you know and uh, <laughs> so you know and she's drunk and, like in his face and pointing and you know and, um but uh yeah i'm so i'm I Ibu a lot i can um, i can
1: see mike having that that that, uh, with that, that uh, argument yeah. i imagine he was on the, the there's no there's no validity to it yes it's side and you're, yes you're, yeah. and your wife was at the no it happens <laughs> yeah. it's a real thing i, I completely
0: imagine i can i can visualize it in my head. <laughs> um him and Saul. I mean, I loved, loved Saul's beers. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because I don't always drank them at seven A.m. when I was at the regional market. Right. And there's just something about a seven AM beer that's better than every other one. Right. You
1: know, that's a good excuse to have a beer. You yeah, know <laughs> exactly.
0: But uh his New York Gold Nail, um I think that's what it was called. I mean just some you know that changed a lot, but uh, I loved Saul's beers. Um yeah. well, he, he was one of the people just in it
1: for the passion like i yeah. mean i'm not sure he had a viable business i right. i, I just from from you know not yeah. knowing anything about like his numbers or anything like that but you know just i know about beer and yeah how hard it is to make money selling beer yeah and uh, is he still doing it
0: no so uh he stopped um he was so he was selling at the regional market and as far as i understand he only had one Wholesale account, and that was um three one seven at Montgomery Street, because he was friends with Joel and Natalie. Okay, I think they all went to high school together, and so he was selling to them, which was like, holy shit, you guys have his fucking beers. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So he's not doing it anymore. I think he stopped over a year ago, but uh, he's over at UBL right now. Okay, so he's like a co-brewer or whatever the case is over at Underground, mm-hmm. and um. From what I understand, at least, eventually they're going to re release some of his beers through that system. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was just, yeah, I loved his beers a lot. Yeah, no, again, he was somebody who's
1: so passionate, very knowledgeable, mm-hmm. um, and brewing beers that just because he liked them, you yeah. know, like it was, and because they were good beers. Like yeah. he wasn't the one to chase a New England IPA or to, again, an, an English style golden ale. Yeah. Is not something that's ever going to set the world on fire,
0: right? But uh, the, there's something about uh, maybe it's just me because I used to sm- I used to smoke cigarettes and listen to a lot of sad music. Um, there's something about a large bo- glass bottle of beer that can't be resealed. I mean, no beers can be resealed, but right. there's just something about a large bottle. Like you have to sit there and spend your time with it. Mm-hmm. You can't just crack the can and down it and move on to the next. You can't just get a pint of it. If you're opening that bottle, you're going to be there for a little bit drinking it, mm-hmm. um, or you're going to waste it. And you know who wants to do that?
1: Yeah, no, it was. Uh, what he
0: did was very unique. Yeah, it was,
1: and I think he's probably one of the most respected people in the area. Yeah, beer wise, because of that, you know, it's that it's that he really put his passion into it. You yeah, know? it it was almost hmm. like it wasn't a business. Right, it was just. I mean, it was a business, yeah. but it was also a passion project.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, maybe it's the two drinks, or I don't know what. But I'm starting to get sad talking about this. Yeah, so let's right. move yeah. on. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what's the history of Middle Ages? I mean, yeah,
1: so um, my parents uh, started it in 1995. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad. Um, uh, my dad uh, had um, come from. Uh, a scrap metal business that his parents owned. Um, and they sold in the early 90s. Um, and he knew that he wanted to go to, into business for himself. Mm. Um, and my mom decided that she wanted to be involved also. Um, this is kind of when homebrewing and craft beer was first taking off. Okay. Um, and so he was homebrewing at the time. Um, and then he... Um, ended up seeing an advertisement for a like a, a brewer's holiday kind of thing hmm. in uh, outside of Portland, Maine and um, Kenny Bunkport, Maine mm-hmm. um, it was uh, I think it's Kenny Bunkport brew pub that I might be wrong about the name there. Uh, but basically you came up for a week and learned how brew was hmm. beer was brewed on a commercial scale or a brew pub scale. Oh, that's cool. Um, so he did it, loved it. Um, uh, met people. The owner, who is uh, Alan Pugsley, um, who's very influential in the American brewing scene. Yeah. Um, And then Alan also owned a production brewery Hmm. in Shipyard. So uh, Alan and my dad became friends. And, um, you know, my dad decided that he wanted to go into the beer industry.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, So he ended up interning at Shipyard Brewing Company in Portland, Maine, which was also owned by Alan. Yeah. Um, and then, um, just went for it and decided (laughs) to open a brewery in Syracuse. We were the first production brewery to open in Syracuse since, uh, Haberley Brewing Company had closed in the, I believe the sixties. Um, Empire had opened, but they were in planning at the same time. Okay. The original Empire Brewing Company, I believe opened about six months before, uh, we did. Okay. Uh, but we we're the first, you know, production brewery, you know, putting beer into bottles at the time, yeah, and distributing in kegs and st- stuff like that. Hmm. Um, everybody at the time thought he was crazy. <laughs> um, he had trouble finding somebody who would, you know, even though they had the financing, yeah, um, he had trouble finding somebody to rent to him hmm. because he was turned down a few different times because um, they're like, "What are you crazy? <laughs> like this is not going to work. You're not going to be able to pay rent." <laughs> Then we finally found our place, which was the in the old Steel Test Ice Cream Factory, where we are till today. Um, We've expanded the footprint over time. There, Um, how old were you when that happened? I was five when they opened the brewery. Jesus, yeah. So I grew up there. Okay. Um, I remember spending weekends there because you know they they kind of there was a little break room where they set me up with a a TV and a Super Nintendo. And, you know, my mom or dad would have to be working. Sometimes my dad would be delivering beer hmm. on a Saturday to Buffalo, Rochester, wherever they could sell beer at the time because wow. it was a struggle. Um, hmm. And my mom would be there working in the tasting room, which at the time was just a tasting room. Yeah. You weren't allowed to sell beer by the glass. Really? That didn't happen until fairly recent. That didn't happen until, you know, eight or ten years ago. I can't remember the exact date. Where, what? Yeah. So as a brewer, if you just had a brewery license, a microbrewery license. Oh, okay. Before the farm license existed. Yeah. Um, you weren't allowed to sell a glass of beer to a customer. That's nuts. You could do tasting or you could sell beer to go. Huh. And the tasting had to be limited, you know, only a few ounces and. Free? The, I don't know if it had to be free. That was the standard at the time. Okay. That everything was free. It yeah. was because breweries popping up, your marketing people have no idea what craft beer is. Right. So to get them to try your beer, you you had to give it away for free. Yeah, Uh, so that's what we did for the for twenty years. We Hmm. we gave away free tastings and then sold beer to go.
0: What was that like? I mean, being five years old, your parents. I I don't know if you have vivid memories of being five, but uh, uh, I mean, what's that like growing up and your parents own this, you know, brew house? Well, so at
1: at first, I didn't really have any understanding of what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they were told, they told me, you know, we're opening a brewery yeah, and they're explaining it to me. And of course, my first question is, are you going to make soda too? <laughs> and they're like, no, we're not going to, but I had in my head, you know, things you'd see on TV, you know, like I don't know, Marvin modern marvels on the history channel or whatever. I imagine some like huge production facility with, you know, Laverne and Shirley style, like just bottles being pumped out every second. Um, and when you're a small brewery, that's not what it's like. Yeah, So, Honestly, when I was, you know, five or six years old, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, this isn't nearly as cool as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> it was probably like the size of your, what, small batch or something?
1: Well, no. So we opened with the same system we have now. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, it back then, again, it, distribution was what we figured all we'd be doing. Yeah. You know, the on-premise thing wasn't even really a thing back then. Hmm. Uh, that yeah. was kind of a surprising thing to my parents when they realized how much people want to come into the brewery and buy Hmm. Even back then just beer it was growler fills yeah and just the few brands we had in six packs hmm. um that was a surprise to them um ends up being a huge mainstay of the business like a part of the business that we couldn't without it we couldn't succeed as a business yeah. without that direct to consumer sales oh yeah um if we were just distribution it wouldn't be a viable business no um uh, we need we rely on that you know the higher margin Direct consumer sales to actually make it worth it. We're not big enough that we could rely on just distribution.
2: Yeah,
1: and that goes back to the beginning. Um, hmm. So yeah, no, they they struggled for quite a long time. Um, then eventually, and I don't couldn't tell you the exact year. Uh, things started to really take off. Hmm. Um, they came out with Syracuse Pale Ale, which is today still our best seller. Hmm. Um, you know, it's on tap. There's a point where it was you couldn't find a restaurant where it wasn't on tap. Hmm. Things have changed a little bit now where you know everybody wants something different all the time. You know back then nobody rotated their tap handles. Yeah. Nowadays it's not unusual for even a regular restaurant you know not even craft beer specialty yeah to change what's on tap every keg. Yeah. Or to change what's on tap. You know they might have a few mainstays but you know 7 out of 10 of their list they're going to rotate every keg or every two kegs. Yeah, where back then it was, um, no, your, your tap list was your tap list, right? So there was a period of time where Syracuse Pale Ale was on tap pretty much everywhere, hmm. um, and that was the flagship that you know built that built the brewery um, into what hmm. it, you know became, um, which what made it successful. Um, and then you know uh, over time they added on you know the twenty two ounce. Um, Bombers, um, Wailing Wench, Dragon Slayer became kind of like cult hits, you know, um, even then where we, you know, only distributed locally or in New York state or a little bit in surrounding states, there'd be people from across the country who knew about Dragon Slayer or knew about, you know, Wailing Wench or some of these, you know, higher end, more unique beers that we were doing at
0: the time. Those are big beers for me. Like even when I was younger, um, you know, when I was, like, I can remember in high school being in a Wegmans or wherever and seeing those bottles. Right. You know, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I mean, even then it was like, wow, this is a, this is a very cool thing, you know, before yeah. I was legally drinking beer.
1: Right. Um, so, yeah, that kind of, you know, that made a name for us, like, in the beer world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Syracuse Palo kind of made a name for us locally. Yeah. Um, and then... I became involved in 2012 um, after I graduated college. Um, When I went to college, I did not have any interest in being Hmm. involved with the company. Um, And then as any other college student would be like, oh, my parents own a brewery. I should probably want to be involved with this. My parents were, you know, um, I'm fortunate enough that my parents said, hey, finish your degree.
0: And then you can still come work with us. Were you able to like drink a lot in high school and stuff like that?
1: No, my parents were. I mean, I'm not gonna say it didn't happen, yeah. Um, but no, um, no, they were good parents, <laughs> they yeah. you know, it wasn't like free for all. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't have a key to the place till I was 18 years old, okay. so like, it wasn't <laughs> like again, I'm not gonna say there wasn't a beer had here or there, right? But, for sure. Um, when I was in college, they pretty much let me take whatever I wanted, <laughs> but uh, um. Uh, but no, they were, they were, you know, responsible with that. Um, so then I, you know, at some point in college, I don't know if it was after my freshman year or whatever. I was like, you know, I I think I just want to work for you guys. And they said, um, sure. But you know, finish your degree. We Mm -hmm. think that's important. Um, but then after college I came and started working for them. And at first I was just bartending. Mm -hmm. I was making our mixed packs, you know, entry level stuff. Um, my first decision with the company was that we should be open on sundays so i worked sundays for the first 3 or 4 years that i yeah. um you know came back after i was working for him um then i started taking over roles for my mom um um uh, and then eventually i started getting involved in the brewing process i started doing some home brewing to learn about it um learned a lot from my dad you know, read all of the classic beer literature that everybody needs to read. Hmm. There's, you know, a handful of books that are just considered, you know, if you're going to be a brewer, you should read these books. Yeah. Um, even though knowledge has changed, the the found, the uh, foundational knowledge in those books is still foundational knowledge. Yeah. Um, and then um, there was a guy who worked for us. His name is Jess. Um, he was, you know, our head brewer at the time. And I learned a ton from him. Uh, he ended up eventually moving on to uh, Tired Hands outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I've heard of that. And then, who were very innovative. And then now he works for Industrial Arts. Oh, wow. Who makes, like, Wrench. Uh, he's their director of production there. Hmm. Um, but it was around the time that he left that I kind of, you know, like, took the bull by my, by its horns and said, hey, these are changes I want to make. Um. And my dad let me, um, and so we, that was kind of when we first started to come out with like newer beers, like the first time we did New England IPAs, hmm. first time we did, actually first time we brewed beer with different yeast, hmm. uh, we'd always used a yeast called Ringwood, which dates back to when, uh, Shipyard Brewing Company and Alan Pugsley, that was how, um, you know, my, my dad brought him on as a consultant and hmm. the brewery builder, um, for when he built the brewery and, um, that yeast is all done in open fermentation. Hmm. It's a yeast that's continuously repitched over and over again and had been continuously repitched in a brewery setting for like 160 years Holy at shit, that man. point. Whereas the norm for modern breweries is to, you repitch the, you harvest these from the bottom of these, like you know, the, the conical tanks that you've seen in every brewery. Um, and they get repitched a handful of times, which could range anywhere between a few times and, you know, a dozen times. Then you buy a fresh pitch yeast from the lab, Hmm. Um, whereas this yeast had been continuously repitched for, you know, 150 years, 160 years. That's wild. So um, Hmm. eventually we brought in some of the silocondrical tanks um, and started using different yeasts, which allowed us to do beers that we never did before. Hmm. You know, you can't really do a modern IPA in an open fermenter. Um, with Ringwood Mm. it just doesn't come out good Yeah, Ringwood was great for certain beers but just did not work in other beers Mm. Um, then um, uh, around I guess around five years ago is when we opened the new tap room and um, because they made it again they made it legal to sell beer direct to consumers Mm. by the glass yeah just if you have a regular brewery license you could do it yeah um so that was a huge change for us. Um, and we opened the new tap room. Um, and then COVID happened, which, you know, changes everything for everybody. That was actually when we got rid of uh, Ringwood and the old brewing system. We The old brewing system we have, the old fermenters that we had. Gotcha. We still, the hot side, which is where the, the the beer is mashed in with the grains and boiled, that's all still the same. Hmm. But we no longer use any open fermenters. Um, we brought in more cylindrical sil- tanks. Okay. Um and we don't use Ringwood at all anymore. Hmm. And the real reason we decided to do that, I mean, we had been talking about this for, at this point, years, hmm. getting rid of it. You know, at this point, our flagship still used it, SPA and um, a bunch of other beers. Um, But our production went down so much right at the beginning of COVID hmm. because we leaned so much towards on-premise sales, like on our on-premise, and then on-premise sales for bars and restaurants. Yeah. Usually, smaller breweries tend to lean more towards that, whereas you know brewery the bigger you get, the more you sell in package, yeah, and the more you sell at grocery stores and you know off premise yeah, um, so it got to the point where we weren't going to be able to brew enough to keep ringwood alive, mm. so it was like, okay, I guess we're this is the nail in the coffin we're gonna wow. stop using ringwood, um, hmm. which I think was you know. Uh, was a decision that was going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Um, that was a trend we were going on. Again, you know, a lot of the modern beers just don't work. Well, you can't brew a lager with Wingwood East. Uh, hmm. Can't brew New England IPA with it. Yeah. Um, or at least a good one. You can't brew a good one with it. Um, but, no, that was actually what made us do it.
0: That's so, wild. Yeah. yeah. Huh. What's it like to, I mean, do you, like, do you have any, like, Feel this sense of responsibility, or um, like I don't want to say to like keep the torch burning, but as the oldest brewery in Syracuse, or do you do you look at yourself as like the older brother?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people who've come to me with questions. Yeah, I mean, again, I grew up in the industry. You know, I feel that I'm fairly knowledgeable about mm-hmm. about stuff. Um, and we're just you know. Especially I mean, now there's some bigger people who've opened. Yeah. But for a long time we were the biggest brewery in Syracuse. So Fuck a them. lot of times I was the <laughs> uh I was the person people called like, oh, I ran out of this. Yeah. And we still do that for <laughs> other people. And, and you know, I do that too. I call people like I you know, I'm out of wheat. Yeah. Because my delivery's delayed. Yeah. And we're brewing a you know, beer that, you know, I need five bags of wheat for. So I'll call <laughs> Tim at Buried Acorn or Billy at Heritage Hill or Ivan at Myers Creek, and they're like, yeah, come get it. Yeah. But, you know. Um, That's crazy. No, it's it's, it's it's great how collaborative and friendly everybody is in the industry. Yeah. Because I know most industries are not like that. Yeah. I know there are others that are, you know, I know at least some restaurants are like that. Right. I know not all of them are. And still, you get breweries that aren't like that, too. Like, you know. Yeah. There are some breweries you can't call up and just. Hey can I borrow this? They'd be like, "No." But <laughs> but most of them, 90% of them, if they can do something to help you out, they will.
0: Yeah. So That's always surprised me. It used to be more collaborative downtown than I think it is now. I mean, it still is to a certain extent. I'd imagine if you're pretty much anybody and you called somebody like David Hoyne, he's going to lend you a cup of sugar. Yes. Um and uh and so I remember, you know, Cody from Defi would talk about that a lot, how he would you know, connect with other restaurant owners and chefs in downtown about working on different products. And, um, I've always been surprised about that to hear Tim from buried acorn say that he was always like, you know, Myers Creek opens up around the corner to me. I'm like, fuck them. You know, why the hell would you do that? Um, and for Tim, he's like, who cares? Open up another one. You know, like, his view is the more breweries, craft breweries that there are, the more people are going to get into craft beer. Yeah,
1: I mean, what's that saying? Rising tides raise all ships. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, of course, everybody's competition too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with him. It's um, yeah, in general, there's still more people to convert to craft beer than to worry about competition. All right, uh, we're not a place like. Denver or Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. where there's 200 breweries in the city limits. You know, yeah. it's it's where you know there's still only a couple dozen in the area. Yeah, there there is room for more. I don't know exactly when that limit's going to be. You know, we're a smaller population. They're, you know, um, but I don't know exactly what that limit's going to be. Yeah, but again, the more people who are into craft beer, the better it is for every
0: brewery. Yeah, Mike Big Mike used to always say that. He would say I'm not competing against full bore or this person or that person. I we're all competing against, you know, Budweiser, you know, Anheuser Busch and, no. and Miller. And uh you know, you know, if they could get 1% of that market share, it'd be amazing. Um do you think there there is like is there a a certain number you think where it's like, okay, we've we've gotten too many now in Syracuse? So, of course there is. Um but I don't think of it like a hard
1: limit. Mhm. I kind of think of it like um, a mature industry. Um, Kind of like what any other, like the restaurant industry. Yeah. Of course, there's a certain limit to the amount of restaurants any typical area can support. Yeah. So it's just going to become like that industry where restaurants come and go.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You're already starting to see that with breweries, you know, breweries closing. Um, So it's not going to be like there's a hard limit. Yeah, but eventually, of course, you can only support so many breweries. So it'll be the ones that are, you know, successful or better at marketing or, you know, yeah, whatever. Like those are the ones who survive. And you'll see some close, you'll see some open up, you'll see some new ones open up and fail. Yeah, um, hmm. I don't think we're at that number yet. Yeah. Um, but again, I I would be, I wouldn't call it a hard limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again there's so there's different models for breweries that work like for example Pete at Eastwood Brewing Company
2: mm-hmm.
1: he's pretty he's a one barrel system pretty much only direct to consumer yeah um i mean I, he does have some other you know some accounts that he sells beer to but pretty much you know pretty much just selling pints across the bar right or growler fills to go yeah uh, you know very low overhead um so he's essentially a neighborhood bar that Makes his own beer, yeah, right. And how many of those can you support? I don't a lot, you know. Like yeah. depending on certain neighborhoods, I that, think
0: it would be it would be cool to see. Um, I'm not saying that like the majority. It would, I'm not saying I, I I would like to see the majority of Syracuse go this way, but it it would be cool. And it you know, gets back to viability and you know finances and if you're going to make money or not. Um, more small setups i think pop up Mm. you know that are like focused on hey we're putting out like these this small number of really craft like really craft beers high-end beer whatever the case is uh that'd be cool to see you know yeah i think uh that kind of
1: goes back to what we were touching on earlier yeah where syracuse tends to be a little bit behind the trends yeah i think in some bigger cities or at least trendier beer areas you're already seeing places that um super super special like they're only doing barrel-aged beers Mm -hmm. um or they're only Mm -hmm. doing you know like these certain type of sours or they're only doing these ipas or stouts or whatever and they're selling out every weekend they're only producing a small amount Mm -hmm. um i think ubl is actually kind of like an example of a place that's doing that He's, he's putting out these awesome ipas that's mostly all he does yeah i mean he does do other beers of course um but you know, very small setup. Yeah, direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know how many of those are viable in Syracuse right now. Yeah, just like you know, I don't know how many super high end restaurants are viable in Syracuse right now. You know, you yeah. got
0: Eden, you got Saint Urban, Amano. I would sort of put in that level, but <clears throat> they're not high end. But I mean, their quality is, but they're not. Yeah, you the know. quality is there. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's super
1: specialized. Yeah. You know, like St. Urban wine bar, like just like it's like you feel like you're in New York City. Yeah. Um, in this ultra unique concept. Yeah.
0: Everything's grilled of real wood, right? Like right in front of you. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't think Syrac- Syracuse can't handle many of those concepts right now, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And um yeah you know i I don't really know what the next wave is gonna be in syracuse and when it comes to food and and restaurants and that kind of stuff because the um yeah, I don't know what that next wave is gonna be um I think we kind of uh, I don't know if it's graciously, but we've kind of skipped over the ghost kitchen, you know, uh, virtual kitchen phase. There's some that are doing it, you know, Funkin' Waffles is doing a massive virtual kitchen business what is, right What now. is theirs? Uh, so they've got like three different, three or four different concepts operating out of their kitchen that is just, um, just on Grubhub and DoorDash. Um. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, so like the two of them are like breakfast concepts, like breakfast sandwich concepts, um, yeah, so they're doing it. You know, John's doing it at Three Lives with Monkey Brains. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Obviously, you're doing it.
0: So we are, and we aren't. We're technically not any of that. Oh, really? What we're we're me? Yeah. yeah. So we're a restaurant. We're just a restaurant inside of a restaurant. We're like a KFC Taco Bell combo. Okay. Cause you can. So the the difference is a ghost kitchen. A ghost kitchen would be like in this room. There's four kitchens in here, like four identical kitchen spaces. And there's four different restaurants operating in this one room. And they only operate through Grubhub and DoorDash. Okay. So that's a ghost kitchen. Understood. You can't show up and pick it up. You can't show up and dine in. You can only get it there. A virtual kitchen is a restaurant operates one or multiple other restaurants out of its kitchen that are different concepts that are only available on delivery. Okay. That's like a monkey brain situation. Right. Um, So you can't go to 315, or 3Lives, and order... I don't know if you can or not. That's a good question. I haven't been there since he started Monkey Brains, but I don't think that you can go there. You might be able to, but I don't think that you can go there and order off the Monkey Brains 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 menu and sit there and eat it. I think you have to get it for delivery or pickup. Um, So that's like a virtual kitchen. Okay. Um, We just exist inside of Limp Lizard because... um, Mad Burger, who Michelle from the brasserie had opened up during the pandemic, mm. um, I, she had hired me to like do the brand development for that, and so I helped come up with the name. I did the logo. Um, she kind of had the she had the menu already in place, um, and she had the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. And then I did all the social media marketing. That's and no longer operating? It was only open for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> um, she she realized really quickly that, A, the Brasserie couldn't really operate without her there, and, B, she had staffing issues. Like, she had hired three cooks for Mad Burger, and one of them she fired, and the other one just didn't show up after the first day. Um, and so, uh, but she sold out of food, like, her first, every day, her first week. I mean, it was very, very busy. So... Because I had done that, I'm and I'm friends with Nick who runs Mm -hmm. Limp Lizard. He he was like, We should you know, my North Syracuse location is slow. We should come up with a ghost kitchen that we could run out of there. Um and so we were tossing ideas back and forth. And I've had the name for Three One Fried for like four years. I wanted to do three one fried as a um focused on takeout and delivery, but it would, in my head, it was like, it would have like three or four tables or, you know, bar stools in there at a counter. We would do really rare craft beers and we would just do really great fried chicken and sides. And, um, so after like a few months of us just going back and forth, should we do a ghost kitchen? Should it be a burger concept? I was finally like, we could do three, one fried. And he was like, I love that name. Let's do it. And so, then we went to work on figuring out the recipes and all that kind of stuff. So but you can walk in, order at three one like you walk in, there's three cash registers. Two of them are limp lizard, one of them's three one fried. So you just walk up to the counter and order. You can sit there and eat it, get it for takeout, call us for delivery, mm-hmm. whatever. So that makes us just a regular restaurant. Um Right. Okay. Yeah. I it sounds bad, but uh
1: honestly that sounds like a more viable long term concept to me than yeah ghost kitchens yeah in general
0: yes so um people in syracuse haven't really grasped the ghost kitchen virtual kitchen thing yet you know they they want to they want to be able to say this is the person that owns it here's where they live here you know here's what they look like yeah. you know syracuse is still very old school when it comes to that kind of stuff very old school you know? yeah um i uh so but this trend was, I've been working with the restaurants that have been doing this in Rochester three years ago, four years ago, um, that were doing fried chicken sandwiches inside of another restaurant as a pop-up or inside of a bar that had a kitchen. They started it four years ago. Wow. Um, we're just getting it in Syracuse. The argument could be made that SoFly started doing it at of XO, but, uh they, they definitely started before us, but the argument could be made that they were kind of that sort of a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were. Can you order that there? Yes. Okay. You can go to XO, sit down, and order SoFly um, or Flybird. I think they changed the name. They did. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's not a bad chicken sandwich. You know, it's not ham-breaded, but it's a great. It's a, still a good, tasty with the toppings on. It's still a decent chicken sandwich. Um, but yeah, Syracuse just hasn't gotten on that thing yet. So. For restaurants like us, it's great because no one is getting paid from it. We pay Limp Lizard like we cover a quarter of the expenses of Limp Lizard. So when it comes to like the bills, payroll, all that kind of stuff, and then plus our food. So for us, it's great. Um, Me and the two partners, we don't take a paycheck from it. And we're just putting the money aside. And next year, we hope to either have a place near downtown downtown where it's more like a Buffalo style spot that has a great bar and great craft beer and also does great food or to have a food truck. Mm. Um, So, and you know,
1: which is another thing Syracuse was way behind on Yeah, food trucks. Yeah. Then they kind of exploded. Yeah. Um, But I mean, you know, yeah. Five years ago, there were hardly any food trucks. I know. Yeah. It was like tossing fire and, chicken bandit yeah pb and j yeah. yeah was she even around five yeah i think she was yeah, yeah. she was yeah. yeah yeah and that was like it
0: yeah like, and, and
1: now all of a sudden there's so many of them
0: yeah That's- i yeah uh i'm great there's a lot there's a lot of great food trucks today that there exist yeah. and, it, and a lot of great looking food trucks because five years ago half of them were converted u-haul trailers yeah. and you know they looked like shit <laughs> some of those are still around yeah for sure <laughs> um but, yeah, nowadays – but I will say it's impossible to book a food truck these days. Um, yes. Well, I mean, they want to make
1: – I mean, we can get them for really busy days yeah. at the brewery. You know, when we do concerts, like especially the outdoor concerts we do. Yeah. We get food trucks for that. But um, I think especially with our location, mm-hmm. there's so many food options around. Yeah. And then we've been around for so long that people got used to, you know, either we're a first stop or a last stop. mm and then, you know, within hmm. five blocks, there's dozens of restaurants yeah. near us. So yeah. it's like, you know, on a Friday night or a Thursday night, even if we're busy, mm-hmm. they won't do enough money for them to for it to be viable for them to be there. Right. So unless we have, like, a, a legit event, you know, event that's going to draw hundreds of people. Yeah. They, have, you know, most of them have deemed it not worth it for them to be, you know. Oh, yeah. Where we are. Whereas you look at, like, a, place, a, a brewery like Three and Five. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not, they they're always going to be busy with food trucks. Right. right. Because they're, yeah. that's all there is there. Right. You know, it's, it's actually the closest I live out in Warners. Okay. So it's the closest place. If there's a food truck there. Yeah. It's the closest place for me to go get a beer and a drink or a beer and food. Huh? You know, If they, you know, on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's wild. And there's a lot of people who live out in that area. Yeah. Um, hmm.
0: That's what I want to own next. I want to own a farm. I want to own like an attraction based farm.
1: Yeah. So that seems to be. I never would have guessed what agro tourism <laughs> would have like become. It reminds me of that office episode where you know you watch the office. Oh yes, I was just watching at this point. Yeah, where yeah. Um, you know Dwight talks about the agro tourism <laughs> his farm, <laughs> and it's like I never would have imagined how it's nuts. How well these places do, you know, like Beacon Skiff. Yeah heritage hill yeah it's just you know you go out there on a weekend from yeah you know late spring to late fall right you get thousands of people out there, yeah
0: hell yeah and if you're you know, lucky if you're like i mean i don't know what beacon Skiff does in the winter time but heritage hill has that massive restaurant you know? right
1: you know they still do well yeah know. but i mean just again the amount of people i see out there it's stupid it's crazy I, it's yeah and again i never 10 years ago well then Around here, ten years ago, I never would have imagined it would be like this. All right. You know, Beacon Skiff didn't have the distillery yeah. or the the cidery. Yeah. It was just the regular farm thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's you know there was Critt's Farms, which was a fraction of what it is now. It's yeah, I never would have imagined the way it would have blown up.
0: You know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's um, I was just talking with Kevin and Rockney about that today when I was up there, and um, it yeah, it it really is wild how much possibilities there are you know the the one thing that i've learned and um like nick and i are starting we've done a couple bar crawls this past year but now we've started an official events company Mm -hmm. and so we're gonna put on like a dozen of our own events throughout the year and then we're gonna get into like um uh running events for other companies like other restaurants and stuff in town but it's amazing to think now, like as the pro the progression of me figuring out how to make money in the food industry has gone over the last seven years. Unfortunately, I'm just now starting to get a tiny grasp on how to make money in the (laughs) food industry. Um, It's like you need space, you know, well, you guys are doing it. You're building that event space. Right. Yeah. We're building.
1: It's, it was a logical step for us. Um, Yeah. We're building like a 7,500 square foot event space above where we are. Um, It's going to, mainly be for private events mm-hmm. um but we'll also do some concerts up there that's awesome and then we'll also do whatever you know we're talking about so there's gonna be kind of like two areas the front like bar area
2: mm-hmm.
1: um kind of like more like a lounge okay and then the back is just a big open space mm-hmm. where there'll be a stage um and we're talking about during you know anytime there is an event that'll be a game room that's cool like a couple pool tables indoor cornhole league in the winter. Yeah. Um, You know, endless possibilities. It's just, again, as I mentioned earlier, direct to consumer sales, it's. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, so you, I mean, that's gotta be interesting for you because you're probably the, the, of all the local craft breweries, you probably have the largest distribution of all of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Martyr's Creek
1: does all the contract. Yeah. But uh, that's different. You know, they just, somebody pays you to make beer. All right. Then you send that beer out and it goes out to market. Yeah. Um, yeah, as far as like personal distribution, I would say we're, you know, right in Onondaga County, at, well, I'm not counting Budweiser. Yeah. Um, we're, the, we're the largest, so. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that has changed so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's, I mentioned the tap handle rotation before. All right. Um, but, you know, we're competing against every new brand that opens mm-hmm. we're be competing against brands that are coming to this market for the first time yeah competing against the national brands mm-hmm. um it's and then the same way you know so there's some much more competition in our, in our home market and in the same way like it makes it hardest harder for us to go into any other market mm. as a small regional brewery yeah. like if i want to try and sell beer in rochester I'm competing against the dozens of local breweries in Rochester. I'm competing against the regional brands, the big regional brands, you know, let's say, you know, Saranac, Southern Tier, uh, you know, who are many times the size that we are. Right. Um, And then I'm competing against the national brands. Yeah. And it's just, again, the margins aren't there for me to support a sales person in the area. Yeah. Like, I would have to, you know, have to put a salesperson out in the area who'd have to sell... 50,000 CE case equivalents, you know, um, just to break even. Yeah. Huh. You know, you know, to pay for somebody's salary and spend, you know, everything that costs to have an employee. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Mm. while we are available statewide, it doesn't make sense for us to put somebody on the road. Yeah. Selling our product outside our market. You know, we have a, we have a sales manager who also acts as like a sales rep. Um, Jeff, you know, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense for us to have him in our home market, and he does make out of market trips. Mm-hmm. Um, but to put somebody on full time to try and sell a lot of beer outside this area, yeah, the return on investment would is just
0: it's unimaginable to get there. See, I like uh, it, my thinking has shifted because, as someone who's now buying and selling beer. Yeah, um, because in my head, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've got friends that I want to carry their beer, like. Right. I want to carry as much buried acorn as I can. I want to carry, uh, you know, so like I want to carry Underground Beer Lab because that's an easy story. Even though it's wildly expensive, I can bring it in. I can be like, hey, you see that can over there? That's the hardest thing to get in Syracuse right now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, really? I'll, I'll take it. Um, so I'm looking for beers that like either they're friends of mine and I just want to support them or beers that I, I know I can have a story to sell. Because 90% of the people that do buy beer from me, as they're standing at the cooler, I'm standing behind the bar, going through can by can, selling, trying to sell them on each one, you know. Right. And so for me, I looked at when I was going through like we were a big on bev buyer, so not big, we're probably the smallest account yeah. that they have, but they're smaller, uh, I'm sure they're smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. uh but you know we buy buy mostly from on bev, and so I'm bringing in brands like. You know Lake Placid, and you know there's a couple others. Adirondack Brewing Company, because in my head I'm thinking to myself, okay, most people that are coming to the bar are going to be from Baldwinsville. Most of those people have already seen these brands, like they've they they can go get Middle Ages and Buried Acorn and Willow Rock and Whom at Full Bore anytime they want in a short drive. I want to bring in the stuff or at a grocery store, right? Right, yeah. I want to bring the stuff they have, like they don't even know exists. I brought in Ubu, you know, from Lake Placid or yeah. whatever it is, thinking there's a fucking dog on that thing, on that can. It's a short can, which sells better. Like, I'm going to sell this in no time. I brought in, like, four cases of it. I think I've sold two cans, you know? <laughs> and But, um,
1: well, you know, Ubu used to be huge in this area. Really? Yeah, Ubu used to be, like, a, like, probably a top craft skew. Really? Yeah, going back 10 years ago or plus. Wow. It was on tap everywhere. Huh. It was um, interestingly enough. Um, so Saranac owns that brand. Do they really? Yeah. So Lake Placid is only the brew pub now. Holy shit! Yeah, and uh, so Sarah <laughs> I think they were getting. It, I can't. I think they were getting it contract brewed at Saranac. Wow. And then at some point, Saranac offered to buy the brand from them.
2: That's wild. And so
1: everything distribution from. At least with Ubu. I, I don't know about the whole Lake Placid brand. Yeah. But everything distribution is, is owned by them.
0: That's nuts. Yeah. So I I only know about them because I was up in Lake Placid last year for like a two-day visit and went there. And, you know, it's like this is our flagship beer. And, you know, I had it there and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sell the shit out of this beer. Yeah. And, uh, and it's cheap, so it's even better.
1: Well, that's um, one of the reasons it's cheap. It's made by Steinac, yeah. <laughs> the, the second biggest craft brewery in the state. So, yeah.
0: um, Tim has told me, uh, which I tell most of my customers now, um, is that uh, that is the that that beer has a gold medal for the the beer that no one drinks. Uh, <laughs> um, and I tell people that, and I laugh, and they don't ever laugh at that joke. Um, but uh, it is interesting. We do get people that travel because you know at the bar out of Abbotts. They've got a, they're a harvest host site. So it's a place for people to park their RVs for a night. Okay. And they probably have 20 people, I'd say, a week that are like 20 different fan groups that come in and out. And so it is cool. They come into the bar, and I can, like, sell them craft beer that they're going to take back home. Like, this woman was just in there the other day getting a four two four four-packs for um, her. They're traveling around the country, but she has a beer club that meets in Cleveland where she's from. And so she got like eight different cans to bring back and share with her club. So that was cool to be like, hey, listen, get that Middle Ages and get that full bore and get that willow rock and get that buried acorn. And going through them with her was kind of fun. But, um, yeah, so I thought that that would work, like bringing in stuff that people haven't seen or heard of. It has not worked at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, not in one tiny little bit. Uh, uh, again,
1: you're com- coming in from out of the area. Yeah. And it's like people want local.
0: Yeah. Or they want what they know. So like to me, I'm thinking to myself, you'd probably have an easier time selling in Rochester because hey, it's another craft brewery from New York State, and they're coming into Rochester, and you can get away from all the stuff that you've been drinking and try this new beer.
1: There's just so many options, you know, yeah. in that are just from Rochester. That are good. And yeah, right. They're yeah.
0: great. Every I mean
1: there is tons of great beer out there nowadays. Yeah. It's, you know, tons of it. I'm right. not going to say there isn't bad
2: beer. Yeah. Of course
1: there's bad beer. Um, but there's tons of good stuff. And there's tons of great beer made in Rochester or the Rochester area. Yeah. We're a little lucky with that market and, like, Western New York in general in that we've been around for so long that we're known. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not trendy, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we, our, our trendy stuff, it's like – because, of course, we, you know, we, we try and keep up and do plenty of new stuff. Yeah. But to get the word out there in a market that we're not a major presence in yeah. is really hard. Yeah. Um, and, again, the amount of effort or money, et cetera, that would be to sell a significant volume there is just – it's not viable. Yeah. Um, How important is having Jeff? Very important. Um, he, you know, I'm running the business. Mm -hmm. I was canning today. I do, you know, I wear many hats. Yeah. You know, some of that is sometimes sales. Uh, but to have somebody that's in accounts every day is essential. Yeah. And I just don't have enough time to do that. Yeah. You know, there's no way that I could, Hmm. I mean, he visits a dozen accounts a day or more. Wow. And. You know, I can't tell you how many times people tell me, oh, he's the best sales rep Hmm. that we deal with. Yeah. And it's, well, one of it's because he's a great guy. Yeah. um, And he cares about what he does. But two, he's only local. Mm -hmm. You know, for a craft beer brand to have a beer rep that only does Onondaga County and the surrounding area, you know, the surrounding handful of counties around here, is unbelievably unique mm-hmm. you know it's
2: hmm.
1: most local breweries don't have a craft no. rep. Yeah. rep it's you know it's the owners yeah. um doing it when they can yeah um hmm. or it's they're just relying on word of mouth or the distributors um, or some of them uh do have like a dedicated rep but they're also doing like sales and delivery because they're self-distributing yeah So, no, it's very important that we have him. You know, he maintains relationships. Yeah. Um, He um, opens up new accounts all the time.
0: Hmm.
1: Whereas, you know, if we were just relying on the Shein sales rep, who are selling our brand plus 200 other brands. Right. They're not going to, you know, open a new middle age. They're not going to open a new account just to sell a middle ages handle. Right. Where if he does all the legwork. Says, oh, this account isn't. This account isn't even working with Sheehan.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, he'll go in there. He'll bring him the Sheehan paperwork. Hmm. He'll be. Like, this is who your sales rep's going to be. And does all the legwork to get him established Shein. Yeah. And then you know all of a sudden we're selling product there.
0: Hmm. So.
2: Yeah, that's um, awesome.
0: No, it's. He's essential. Yeah. That's the one thing that like talking to Limp Lizard last year tried to go, for their beer their beer program they tried to go completely local. Like I think they had like two, they had, I think they've got uh, maybe 15 or 20 different tap handles there. And I think they had like maybe four of them were out of state or like Mm. big ones. And and Nick was just like, all right, I'm just going to, this summer, I'm just going to go all in on the local breweries and see what it does. And he said it was a pain in the ass working with multiple, like the two big distributors, but then also having to work with all the individual breweries who don't who distribute, yeah, distribute you know and so and then some of them are delivering on fridays like right as dinner's starting some of them are delivering mondays some are showing up on friday and dropping off their small their tiny order and saying hey i have to have a check before i leave here like you know and uh you know and then some of them not the self-distributors not picking up their kegs he was just talking about how big of a pain in the ass it was and so in my head i'm thinking like Okay, so I need to create some form, some system, through local New York, where I can help restaurants get craft beer from local companies easier. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I thought about it, I realized that was a beer distributor. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, and there are smaller beer distributors that have been successful. Yeah,
1: opening up in other areas. Yeah. Um.
0: It'd be tough for Syracuse. Yeah. Um. I don't. Yeah, it would be tough, but I think if. Imagine if there was one that just did like just did Syracuse in the surrounding areas, and just did Syracuse breweries.
1: That would be cool.
0: It'd be really uh, cool. Um, it would be challenging.
1: I don't know if it'd be viable as a business.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, that's no, the no, not not as a not as a people have to get a full time salary. No, right? No, yeah, not. it's <laughs> like,
1: I mean, uh, you know, running a beer district. I mean, there's a reason they they're charging you thirty percent margins, mm. plus. Which ends up being almost fifty percent markup. Yeah, there's a reason they're making you know so much money on your beer, and there's a lot of logistics, you know, a lot of cold storage, yeah. a lot yeah. of chasing people for money, yeah, a lot of law compliance. You know, one thing that's nice about us being with TJ and who's like our you know we consider an unbelievable partner to us, like they, yeah. and they actually they do a they do a great job by us. I yeah. mean, of course we have our complaints. Right, who doesn't have their complaints about their distributors? Uh, but they you know we consider them a partner. Um. one of the best things is I don't have to chase people for money. Yeah. I don't have to pick up my, I don't have to pick up my kegs. Right. Um. You know, even if they're not going to, you know, do every little bit of legwork that I want them to do for opening new accounts, because again, they're servicing hundreds of other brands too. Right. Um, It's that headache that they completely remove. Hmm. You know, I get, they pay me every week, you know, they pick up every week. I get paid every week. Wow. Um. You know, you know, for, you know, yeah. 30 day terms, but, um, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I know that money will be in my account hmm. and I can make payroll and I can, you know, I know exactly what's going to be in my account. Yeah. I don't have to go knocking people doors for checks. Yeah. It's, um,
0: hmm. that's great.
1: No, that, it, that's one of the biggest things, honestly. I mean, when we self-distributed, we had accounts that when we finally moved to Shia never paid us. Hmm. I mean, some of them are, you know, still exist today. Thousands of dollars that we, you know, we're just left hanging. Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. Um,
0: Yeah, it's wild. It's um, I had a business years ago that closed up Uh, when I was 21. I had a furniture store. I opened with a friend, dumbest thing I've ever done. Well, yeah. maybe third dumbest thing I've ever done in my <laughs> life. Uh, but uh, a furniture store. Yeah, a furniture store. Where was it? Uh, so we were in East Syracuse, behind the Pier One, the old Pier One Imports. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a longer story. I'll shorten up. But the church I went to, there was this trend in furniture. You've seen like the telephone pole signs that say like Queen mattress for like one hundred ninety nine dollars. Call this number. Okay. So that was the, the it was a franchise you bought into, <clears throat> and so and that was the way they advertised was you would buy find a shitty warehouse, you would display like shitty mattresses and furniture, and you would have this whole backstory of um, a friend of mine as a furniture distributor and you know he's got all this overstock from st- stores all across the country. He doesn't have a warehouse to do, to store it. I have a warehouse. I'm storing it. I'm helping him move it out. Everything's marked down like 50 to 70% off. I mean, that was a, st- okay. you could find these places all across I've, the country. I've heard
1: of similar, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a high schooler, the church, this church that we w- went to, there was like two guys in that church that owned businesses doing that one in Albany, one in Syracuse. And so from like a high school job, I got, you know, I was like, cleaning warehouses and you know, for them and, you know, then delivering mattresses and then selling them and shit like that. And so that led to when I was twenty one, I opened one up with a friend of mine, with actually my youth pastor at the time, uh, in East Syracuse. Fucking royal mistake. I mean, talking about dumb business acumen. I mean, first of all, everyone I knew in my life was telling me don't do it. And <laughs> I still did it. Uh second of all, everything had to be put in my name which I didn't find fishy at all at the time. And third of all, I thought sales tax was free money. I guess I didn't know you had to pay that to the state at the end of the year. That's no. how I was, you know, I was a fucking kid. I was an <laughs> idiot, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. My brain was still being formed. And, um, so I had it for a year and it just bombed colossally. It was just such a major, major, major mistake. And I, now as I'm telling you the story, I'm forgetting what my point was with telling you the story. <laughs> um, Uh oh, so but when it closed, and it's a terrible story of how it closed. The business owner wound up being like the biggest you know shyster that ever existed. And the guy owned the franchise. No, the guy that was my partner. Oh okay, all right. right. Um, he was like forging my name on stuff, and it was like the year the iPhone first came out. And uh, at the end of the year, I was like going through our bank accounts, like pay the taxes, and I saw that there was like a thousand dollar fee to like AT and T, like pay, you know, from our credit card for the business, and it was him canceling his service with the one account so he could go buy the iPhone at the other account. Or uh, there was a day that he, like, made this big deal of, I want to take you to dinner. You do so much for the business. Well, the business paid for that dinner. (laughs) yeah. so stuff like that. (laughs) Which is all in your name. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So at 21 years old, uh, sorry, I won't get into, but at 21 years old, I found myself $80,000 in debt furniture store was completely taken away from me and customers that like were expecting their mattresses the next day like vendors that we didn't pay yeah you know that were expecting to get paid and it took me a while i mean it took me a good eight years to pay it all off but uh i made sure every fucking vendor got paid back oh wow you know i mean i was not about to have one person say anthony tringale never paid never paid me for this bill you know and uh and that does still floor me today, even in the food service. Like the ho- nothing has happened to me, thank God, but the horror stories I hear of restaurants who go out of business and will go to their vendors and just be like, What do you want me to do? I went out of business.
1: Mm. I mean, and there's there's people who do it repeatedly too. That's
0: wild. I,
1: I wonder how they get away with it. That's, yeah. that's like it's don't I mean, obviously, as you know, right. word spreads quickly through the industry. Yeah. And to hear that somebody's opened a again. Yeah. And it did, did the same thing again.
0: <laughs> it's like
1: how are you offering this person credit terms? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's
0: It's a challenge yeah. that I face with like running eat local. Syracuse is a really negative market. And I've 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 never seen a market of consumers that want and focus so much on negativity about a restaurant. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. they want to hear and talk about every bad thing that happens. I've mm-hmm. never seen a market like that before. Um, and even happening today, and um, but I try not to post negative shit from eat local. If we have a bad experience at a restaurant, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I try not to. There's sometimes I will. There's sometimes you know I'll just be like, hey, this not that. I wouldn't go there. Um, there's other bet. There's better pizza shops in town. You know, stuff like that. Right.
1: I, I tend to be optimistic about places too. Yeah. You know, it's right what does it do? What good does it do for you to talk bad about people? You know, right? You know, again. Person to person, you know.
0: Yes. I'll be like,
1: hey, this happened. Yeah. But I'm not about to want to be on Facebook Go on or, Facebook. Yeah, and... yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 And to the Brewer's Guild. Hey, just you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Well, uh, all right. So we've been here for a while, but my last question is if, if, if what's what's on the horizon for Middle Ages? What's on your radar of things?
1: Well, again, the big events base. That's our yeah. our biggest thing we have going forward. Um it's it is such a cool. Sp- you gotta have to come see it. It oh, yeah. is such a cool space. Um, it has this mm. industrial vibe, but it, it's completely like wood ceilings. Like it almost looks like a barn. It's a trellis building. Hmm. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, it's part of a. So we don't own the building.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so it's part of a larger project where the whole building is getting revitalized. Wow. So the outdoor space is going to be completely redone. Hmm. Uh, we're going to have patio a real patio not wow. just like some yeah you know little <laughs> space out front that we throw some picnic tables um it's that's what most of my time and stuff is going to do right right now it's just a planning for it yeah um that's cool other than that i mean always new beer yeah always the old favorites um hmm.
0: yeah yeah cool well you said it all yeah We've been here for an hour and 45 minutes oh wow it's been that long yeah i know yeah. thanks well man. it was a pleasure talking to you yeah uh, yeah just
1: it, yeah just was like a nice conversation yeah
0: <laughs> thanks man yeah. everybody go check out middle ages uh anywhere beer is sold in syracuse you can find them most likely uh so check them out yeah. all right thanks man okay, you Well, there it is, folks. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for supporting us. We just, I so appreciate it. It means the world that there's people watching and listening to the podcast uh, every single week. And, uh, you know, if you want to connect with us online, eatlocalnewyork.com, our social media channels, get an Eat Local card. Um, yeah. And again, a huge shout out to our friends over at Pascal's Liquors and Barfly Mixology here. Well, that's it. Without, well, I can say without further ado, because the episode's over. So that's it for this episode. I'm going to catch you next week back here on the Eat Local New York podcast.